You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. In many cultures, it has been the case for centuries that when a man and a woman meet and the relationship starts to get more serious, before that couple can take the next major serious step in the relationship, there is something that they feel they must do. Before the relationship can move forward to marriage, couples have historically sensed the importance of getting parental support. Even today with non-traditional family structures and non-traditional ideas about the family, people, couples still feel a sense of need to get parental support. In fact, a recent poll says that 70% of men and 60% of women see it as important, even necessary, to get parental support before their relationship can go any further. In their most formative years of life, children regularly plead for their parents to notice and affirm them. Whether it is little ones learning to tie their shoes and saying, look at what I did, or tweens bringing their video game score to you, or a teenager who who is subtly longing for affirmation of their chosen style or affirmation concerning their vocational choice about a career direction, children instinctually feel the need to be seen and to receive affirmation from their parents. In fact, psychologists, therapists, And neuroscientists are fairly united in their perspective that clear and consistent words of affection from parents are essential for the healthy development of children. And when children do not get this, it actually changes their brain. And every day in this city, people go to work. They put in extra hours. They obsess over their productivity. They obsess over their reputations. They obsess over the quality of their work because they need their boss to recognize and value their contributions. They want their boss to tell them that they've done a good job. And one of the things that's most difficult about many work situations is the feeling of being estranged from your boss. And one of the reasons why it's so painful when we experience job loss is because it feels like there has been a withdrawal of affirmation in our lives. Now, you might be sitting there saying, where are you going with all this? My question for you is, what do these three scenarios have in common? Here's what it is. They all demonstrate our intuitive, instinctual recognition of the need for blessing. We all instinctually feel the need to receive blessing from the outside. That's what the couple is longing for when they come for parental support. And parental support is a form of blessing. That's what the children want when they're vying for our attention and showing us every little piece of art they've done and always calling for our attention. They're longing for blessing and parental affirmation is a form of blessing. And that's what employees are longing for when they want that attaboy or girl from the boss. They're looking for blessing, and, and the, the affirmations of a boss are a form of blessing. No matter how much we may try to suppress this instinct in our pride, it's always there. 
The longing to be blessed is always with us. But why? Why do couples sense a need for blessing to move forward? Why do children sense an instinctual need for blessing in order to grow up in a healthy way? Why do employees need instinctually a blessing from their boss? Our text for today is all about the theme of blessing. And we can multiply examples of this. I just chose three randos. But we we could see this everywhere, this longing, this need, this desire that we have for blessing. And as we work through our text for today, we're going to consider why we need it and how we get it. Why do we need blessing? And how do we get blessing? So let's look at our first point, why we need it. Now, we've said throughout this series, the gospel according to Genesis, we've said throughout this series that the story of God has many themes, and it can be that the story of God can be outlined according to many themes. For example, if you're new to the Christian faith or you're trying to get your grip on what the Christian faith is all about and you come to the Bible and it feels like a mystery to you, there are a couple different ways you can understand it. For example, you could say that the whole story of the Bible, it can be unfolded by the theme of home, how we had a home, how we lost a home, what God has done to bring us back home and how we actually received that for ourselves. That's the story of God. We, we can organize the story of God according to the family, the family that God created, the family, how it was torn apart and became dysfunctional, what God has done to restore the dysfunctional family, and where we're headed and how we recover this, right? And today, we get another one of those macro themes in the Bible that really helps us to get a sense of what the story of God is all about, and that theme is blessing, how we had it how we lost it, how God restores it, and how we get it back. And there's something, like, we're going to do a lot of macro work in this large, larger narrative today. The reason why we always pick these chunks of text is to maintain the integrity of the way the Bible communicates. We don't want to be guilty of proof texting, so we include the context. And this is a narrative unit, these 47 verses. Some commentators think it stretches earlier and farther, but we just chose this. But here's the thing, here's the thing. One of, the, one of the realities that comes clear in this larger macro narrative is the fact that every single character in this narrative, as messed up as they are, understands the importance, the necessity, and the ultimacy of receiving blessing. Do you see this in the text? Obtaining God's blessing is so important to every character in this story that the family actually fragments over getting the blessing. Notice the text. Isaac sought to give it. Rebecca is willing to be cursed to see her favorite son get it. Jacob deceitfully assumed a different identity to receive it. And Esau weeps and wails over losing it. There is something that these characters understand about blessing that we simply do not. And we need to pay attention to see if we can observe what they saw so that we can recover a proper sense of of what it is about blessing that is so urgent and necessary for our lives. And I think that the way in which we begin to understand this is by taking the larger narrative of Scripture into consideration. Because even these fallen people were in touch with the fact that they were made to live under God's blessing. 
They, need, they knew the story of God. And the reason why we need blessing is because we were created to live under blessing. It is a fact of our createdness. It's a function of our hard wiring as creatures of the living God who is the creator. Try as you may, you can never remove this from your hard wiring. You will seek blessing one way or another from some source or another, and you will tirelessly pursue it even to your own exhaustion and demise. It's so part of your hard wiring as a creature of God. The characters in our text recognized that every single facet of their lives was meant to flourish under God's blessing. But real quick, what is blessing? Because in our culture, blessing is used as a trite word. It's used in a trite way. We don't really have any depth to our understanding. If I asked everyone in this room, what is blessing? I would have about eh, 200 different answers, probably. So what is blessing? I want to give you a simple way of thinking about it. Blessing is goodness, flourishing, or wholeness that comes from the Lord, whether material or immaterial. It's blessing, goodness, and wholeness that comes from the Lord, whether physical or spiritual. That's what blessing is. It's, it's any goodness, flourishing, or wholeness that comes to us from God's hand, whether that's material or immaterial, physical or spiritual. And to bless somebody, biblically speaking, is to be a mediator of God's goodness through our actions. Whether it is to be a mediator of God's goodness through our words spoken, or to be a mediator of God's goodness to others through our service to them, the language of blessing is all about our mediatorial work and passing off the goodness of God to others. And we should note that biblically speaking, a blessing was understood to be effectual, not just a mere wish. When you bless someone, the blessing took effect right now. It's like a boss saying, you're fired. In the speaking of it, it is actually accomplished. It's effectual. That is the way in this cultural context, blessing was understood. There was something powerful about blessing in such a way that it was understood to be effectual when the blessing was given. You see that in the, in the interaction between Isaac and Esau. It was like, it's like it was already discharged. I got nothing left for you. It's already become effectual. And that's something important we need to understand. But if we remember back to Genesis 1 and 2, we get a clear explanation of why we need it. Because in Genesis 1 through 2, what we get in the story of God is that God creates everything in this world. And then what we see is that the scriptures repeatedly say that God blesses every aspect of his creation. And it's the blessing of God that makes everything in creation flourish. It makes everything fruitful. And it makes everything live in harmony, creation with God. There is, there is something about that picture. The emphasis in, that first two, in those first two chapters, the emphasis is on the life-giving power of the divine word. That was the, the primary vehicle by which blessing was spread. It was through the power of the life-giving word of God. 
God's blessing effectually brought fruitfulness, fertility, abundance, and fullness, along with relational health and harmony. Everything in the creation was, was meant to be rightly related to God, to, to operate under the blessing of God, and to flourish under that blessing. And, and, and I think it's even powerful that, that the scriptures say that God blessed the Sabbath, meaning that even in human resting, God designed a blessing to pr produce fruitfulness and flourishing, even when we're not working or trying. The blessing of God is so effectual, so strong in those first two chapters, but then Genesis 3 happens, and we have covered the fact again and again, because we forget it again and again, that Genesis 3 was a catastrophe of cosmic proportions. Everything was broken. It's like the boss being thrown down and shattered pieces never to be put back together again. It was devastating. And not only did Adam and Eve become guilty of high treason against their king, not only did they lose home, not only did they become a dysfunctional family, but they would now live under curse instead of blessing. But we have to understand that though the blessing was lost, the internal need for blessing still stays with us. It's part of the human hardwiring. And we need to understand that in this cultural context, people expressed a deep-seated need for divine blessing very clearly. For, for ancient people, there was nothing more important than receiving divine blessing. And the, in the entire ancient world, if you read back through all this old stuff, in fact, if you really want to get a, have a fascinating lunch or coffee, find Dr. Paul Major, who just became an expert on this cultural context. He can tell you stories from the ancient Near East, from their literature, about all the ways in which these people ordered their lives around avoiding curse and getting blessing. You read those ancient documents, which, which are like providing cultural context for the time in which the Bible was written. There are all kinds of magic incantations. Our, our archaeologists find all kinds of amulets that people wore to try and ward off evil curses. And even in parts of the world today, there are people who try to operate to avoid the evil eye, right? There is this idea that evil omens are lurking around this world was terrifying to people. And so they felt the urgency of seeking blessing from some deity to protect them from curses. The family of Abraham, you can now understand, experiences the, the commitment of God to bless them. You can't, you can't really appreciate what this really meant to them. It was so profound that God would commit himself to bless people in the context of a cursed world, in a context where people were always living in fear of curse. It meant something very serious and significant for God to say, I'm going to bless you. Genesis tells us that the Lord's blessing was meant to touch everything, to make them fertile, to make them prosper to protect them, to deliver them, to heal them, to preserve them, to empower them, to exalt them, to favor them. They needed God's blessing on every aspect of life. And Genesis tells us that it was God's original plan that his kingdom would advance in his world through his blessing on his people. But there are a couple ways 
that we get off track in this regard as modern people. Because you can say, okay, great, they understood what blessing was all about, but like, it's still foreign for us right now. Let's get down into a few of the ways that modern people get off track when it comes to blessing. And I just wanna, I wanna work through four of them. How do we get thrown off when it comes to thinking about blessing? First, we try to seek blessing from everyone but the Lord. Here's modernity's message. We no longer need God. All the blessings we formerly sought from God are now available through technology, scientific advancements, and the political apparatus. Right? What do we need to seek God for? We can just create it. We can develop it through our tech. We can, we can lobby for it in policy. There's this idea that we can address Genesis 3 size problems with our techniques and our creativity. Now, one of, what are the indicators that you have gotten off track as it relates to blessing in this way? First, there's a prayerlessness in your life. What, there's a prayerlessness. You're controlling. And you are emotionally bound to news headlines. News headlines either feel salvific or they feel apocalyptic. <laughs> you see, either, yes, our candidate got into office, whoo, salvation, or the sky is falling because the other guy got into office. It's apocalyptic. The world is going to come crashing down. Those are indicators that we are seeking blessing from everyone but the Lord, especially through modern advancements. Second way we get off track when it comes to blessing is we try to suppress our felt need for God's blessing through pride and the delusions of self-sufficiency. We feel like we got everything we need to force this to happen ourselves. We can manipulate it. We can use our intellect. We can use our financial resources. We can figure out how to get the blessings that were, that were meant to be actually given. Now, what are the indicators that this is how you're off track when it comes to blessing? You won't accept help from anybody. You won't let anybody help you. Why? Because you want to say that you stood on your own two feet. You have a compulsion to always stand on your own two feet. You have a meritocratic attitude. You're hard on people, and you lack gratitude. What do I mean by that? You, meritocratic attitude. If you believe that everything that you have is the result of your own hard work and you deserved everything, then guess what you think? When you see other people that don't have that, you're self-righteous toward them because you're like, if they were just a hard worker like me, then they would have what they need, right? You're hard on people. Why? Because you think that, you know, we add, a, a, in, in the Reformation, there were five solas, right? There's, you know, Scripture alone, you know, faith alone, grace alone, and Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. But we add a sixth sola in modern life, sola bootstrappa, right? We, it's by my bootstraps alone that I have arrived to where I am. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps, and I'm just glad to be enjoying the success I am at the work of my own hands. You're hard on people because you think you arrive through your hard work and any ways in which they are not doing well is because they're lazy. We, we do this with the poor all the time. It's, it's messed up. It's delusional. We lack gratitude. We're anxious and exhausted. You know, that's what Alan Noble was saying in his book, You Are Not Your Own. When it comes to the idea of self-making in modern culture, at first, it's exhilarating. 
I get to make my life whatever I want. But then guess what? If the burden is upon you to craft that life, to win those blessings, to establish that security, that excitement quickly turns to exhaustion because it crushes you. If there's no one else looking out for you, if you're in this all by yourself, if there's no one else who's really powerful and invested in your flourishing, you are crushed by the weight of making your own life turn out the way you dream it would. It's a burden. We try to suppress our felt need for God's blessing through pride and delusions of self-sufficiency. The next way we get off track when it comes to blessing is we misinterpret God's blessings as our achievements, talents, and hard work. We confuse God's blessings and think that they're the result of our achievements, talents, and hard work. We think that our education, our efforts, and our intelligence should get the credit that really God deserves. Our success is the result of the things that we have did. God is written out of your narrative. And this is actually, you, you could understand this as anti-evangelism. If evangelism is all about narrating your story in light of what God has done in Christ through the gospel, anti-evangelism is when you write God out of the narrative and all the good things that have happened in your life are the result of your own smart choices and diligence and discipline. What are the indicators that you have gotten off track in this way? that you haven't misinterpreted God's blessings and confused them as being the result of your achievements and talents and hard work. Indicators, pride. You give yourself too much credit and you don't give God enough. What's another indicator? Apathetic worship. You just show up like a bump in a log. You don't sense that God has done that much for you. You lack the imagination to appreciate just how many times Pure grace prevented your life from becoming an utter catastrophe, an irredeemable catastrophe. That was not happenstance. That was the grace of the Lord. That's why we sing, where would I be if not for your grace carrying me in every season? It's not just a nice tune. It's an invitation to imagine who you would be, where you would be, what you would be, if it weren't for the grace of the Lord. But this, this confusion here makes us apathetic in worship. It also, another indicator is that you lack gratitude. If you did it all yourself, you only have yourself to thank. And again, this is, this is connected to lackluster worship. Have you ever been really grateful? Have you? Have you ever brought that gratitude into worship? I believe that if God's people were, were regularly tuned in to the manifold blessings that God has bestowed upon their lives, Christian worship would look very different in many of our churches, and Christian witness will look very different in many of our communities because there would be a gravitas to it. There would be a power and authenticity to it. There would be a core and a joy to it if we were in touch. But you know what so much Christian worship and so much Christian witness is like? It's like when you're, when you're, in the radio, when you're traveling in a car back in the 90s and you're trying to listen to the radio 
This is the days before MP3s and Spotify and Apple Music. There was a time where when you were driving on a road trip and you're listening to the radio, at first it's really clear, and you're jamming in the car, uh, 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 and then all of a sudden the signal starts to fade out. And then all you got is static, and pretty soon it's white noise, and you're like, and then it turns to country music, and you're like, come on! What have I done to deserve this, Lord? I think there's so much of our, of our worship and our witness is, is got a lot of static in it. Why? Because we're so far from a recognition that every good and perfect gift has come from the Lord, that every blessing that we have has come from a, a kind and generous God simply out of his love and grace for us. And that's why we like gratitude, and that's why our worship is blunted and our witness is blunted. But I think a, a final thing that I want to say about our ways that we get off when it comes to our relationship to blessing is we take greater interest in the blessings than the God who blesses. You know what that's like? That's like a bride who is more enamored with her ring than her groom. Could you imagine what it would be like, how crazy it would look if on the, the wedding day, the bride just couldn't take her eyes off of the ring, she never paid attention to her groom, and she was just caught up, oh, my God, it's so many carrots, it's gleaming like this, it's like, oh, my God, and the groom's like, hey, I'm, I'm here, I'm here, and I gave you the ring, because I love you, can, can we be right here with it? That's what getting the confusion between blessing and the one who blesses is look like when we get off track here, because the relational devolves into the transactional. Our encounters with God are not about communion. It's about trying to extract something from God. It's not about knowing God. It's about padding our lives with stuff. And listen, there will never, you could have every, every material blessing that God could give you and not really behold, not really be satisfied if you don't have the God who is the source of blessing. These are ways that we get off. And what is an indicator that you have more interest in the blessings than the God who blesses? You lack joy and you lack wonder. We need to restore wonder in the, the Rolodex of the Christian vocabulary. Have you ever just been stunned at who God is? Have you ever been bowled over when you get to thinking about your life and all that God has done and all that God has promised to be for you and all the times that God has shown up? Do you know how many of your prayers have been answered? Do you know where you would be if God hadn't intervened more times than you even recognize? One of the things that I always appreciated growing up in the black church is that there was always a recognition that God's blessings always exceeded our ability to number them. And that there were things that he saved us from that we never even saw. That there, there were times where you could have been gone. That you could have been gone. And yet God was merciful. There were times where your life could have taken an altogether more disastrous turn. And God was kind. God was gracious. God was generous. And there were times where you did come into difficulties. And God met you in those difficulties. He met you in the test and gave you a testimony. All of these are the blessings of God. And in this text, the Lord is trying to get us to reorient here. 
In this text, the Lord is using these broken people, this dysfunctional family, in order to help us to sense the urgency and necessity of seeking God's blessing. Because listen, you and I need God's blessing if our marriages are ever to flourish. We need his blessing on our families, on our children, on our relationships, on our ministries, on our church. We need God's blessing on our working and our neighboring and our searching and our serving. We need the blessing of his protection, the blessing of his deliverance, the blessing of his healing, the blessing of his preservation, the blessing of his empowerment, and the blessing of his favor. Because without him, the curse hangs upon everything that we touch. And everything will come to ruin and waste apart from God's blessing. Listen, what I'm trying to tell you, what I'm trying to get, it, get across to you in a very practical way is that many churches are dying because they're trying to advance God's kingdom with little sense of need for God's blessing. It's their programs that they rely on. It's their structures and strategies that they rely upon. Many marriages are withering because they're trying to create oneness with little sense of need for God's blessing. There's a turn to techniques of therapy. There is a, a reliance upon this worldly things and not a begging God for his blessing to get through to bring restoration or healing to this relationship. And many plans are failing because they're trying to succeed with little sense of need for God's blessing. And if any of the characters in our story today could speak to us, they would tell us that we are delusional if we think that we can flourish in this life apart from the blessing of God. They would say, you need to get in touch with your need for the blessing of God. But once you understand why we need it, because it's a creational fact, it's, it's inescapable. Once you understand why we need it, then the question becomes, how do you get it? Which brings us to our second point, how we get it. Now, we've established that we need blessing from God and why we need it. But if you read in this narrative, we see in Esau and Jacob two common approaches to getting blessing from God. Did you observe it? And these, these approaches to getting God's blessing are faulty approaches to getting blessing. The first is the Esau approach, and it sees the formula for blessing as pretty simple. Go out, do my best, work hard, and bring back to the Father something that he likes. Then you can get the blessing. In fact, you know, an example of this, I, I saw an article in, in Business Insider. Former New York City Mayor Mike uh, Bloomberg said that flat out his crusades to enact restrictive gun laws to place bans on smoking and to enact policies fighting obesity would serve him well in the afterlife. This is what Bloomberg said. I'm telling you, quote, if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I'm heading straight in. I have earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. <laughs> if I was that interviewer, I'd have been like. <laughs> right? It's crazy. Like, but we have our own versions of that, right? What's at the root of so much of our busyness? We're trying to bring the Father something that he likes to get his blessing. What's at the root of many of our ambitions and career goals? We're trying to bring the Father something that he likes to get his blessing. What's at the root of so much of our drivenness and our aspiration for credentials? We're trying to bring the Father something that he likes so that he will bless us. That's the Esau approach. But then there's the Jacob approach. Check it out. Jacob pretends and performs in order to get the Father's blessing. He assumes a false identity, he lies, and he dresses up for the Father because he knows that if he reveals who he truly is, if he becomes known to the Father for who he truly is, he'll never get the blessing. You see this? 
it's not hard to see how this way of relating to God shapes the way we relate to people. And the way we relate to people is an indicator of the way we relate to God. Our pretending and our performing horizontally are just symptomatic of our pretending and performing vertically. That's why our relationships are terminally casual. That is why we fear being exposed. That's why we lie on social media and present a false picture that's more prettied up. This is why we assume false identities. This is why we dress up. This is why we're self-righteous. Check it out. For his entire life, Jacob longed to hear the words of love and affirmation that were spoken over the firstborn son. He longed for it. The firstborn son was of special importance in that culture and was in a position to be the absolute delight of the ancient Near Eastern father. That was Esau's purview, though. Jacob longed for that blessing that was really only spoken over Esau. For years and years, Jacob had longed to hear the words of love and blessing spoken over him by his father, but they never came, not until this moment of deception. And listen, look at the text. When Isaac pulls Jacob close to kiss him and smells the smell of his garments, he declares the blessing. See, the smell of my son is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. Then he goes on with the blessing. And in this moment, Jacob was receiving the affirmation of the father, the blessing of the father that he had been longing for his whole life. And in this moment, Father Isaac was declaring over Jacob the blessing and love that he had for his favorite son. Isaac is speaking to Jacob as if he were the favorite son, Esau. And this is the only way Jacob knew he would ever hear these words of blessing. The trouble, though, here was the trouble for Jacob. He could be truly known or truly blessed, but not both. You see it in that text? For him to be truly known would mean that the father would not bless him because the father wanted to bless the firstborn. But in order to get the blessing, he had to conceal himself. And listen, if we are honest, we know like Jacob that we don't deserve the blessing of God because we forfeited that blessing through our rebellion. And deep down, we feel the same way as Jacob. We don't believe that we can be truly known and truly blessed because we know the stuff that goes on within. And this is why we anxiously strive to bring the father something that he likes. This is why we pretend and perform to try and get the blessing of God. This is why we present the clean Photoshop version of ourselves. And the tragedy is that when we do this long enough, we actually start to believe that the Photoshop version of ourselves is our real selves. It's like Nathaniel Hawthorne said in the Scarlet Letter. He said, no man for any considerable period can wear one face to himself and another to the multitude without finally getting bewildered as to which one may be true. All of our pretending and performing is symptomatic. But here's the question. What is the good news for people like us? The good news is in this text in a profound way, if you see it. Check it out. The one, Jacob knew that if Isaac could see who he really was, he would not bless him. But the wonder of the gospel is that God sees who we really are, and yet he graciously speaks the word of blessing over us. He knows we don't deserve his blessing, but because of his great love and mercy, he's delighted to pour out his blessing on undeserving children. How could he do this? How is it that we can get God's blessing? 
Galatians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14 tell us, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Do you see that? In the gospel, God the Father poured out on his firstborn son, his only begotten son, the curse that we deserved so that he could pour out on us the blessing and love that his precious son deserved. In the story, we're going to do some juxtapositions now. I want you to listen. In the story of Genesis 27, the blessing of the favored son is given to Jacob by accident. In the gospel story, the blessing of the favored son is given to us by grace. In this story, Jacob has to become like the firstborn in order to win the father's blessing for himself. But in the gospel story, the firstborn son, Jesus Christ, becomes like us in order to win the father's blessing for us. In Genesis 27, Rachel says, let your curse be on me, my son. In the gospel, Jesus says, let your curse be on me, my children. It's only in the gospel that you can be both truly known and truly blessed. All of grace. You don't have to pretend or perform. You don't have to bring the Father something that he likes to get his blessing. Jesus already handled that. We bring him obedience and love because we have already been blessed. We don't work for blessing. We work from blessing, okay? His blessing is ours in the gospel. Blessing for every area of life. And let me just wrap it up with this. Two Two applications that I want to make. First, never let a benediction on a Sunday morning worship service go by you as something trite again. When I give you a benediction, liturgically, you are supposed to envision me as a representative through whom God himself is extending his hand a blessing toward you, reminding you of who you are and who he is, and what he's up to in your life. You live under profound blessing if you are in union with Christ. God sees you as the favored son because you are in union with Christ. How does God love you? Just as much as he loves his son, Jesus, because you're in vital union with him. Never let that blessing that I pronounce over you on Sunday go past you without sensing it deeply in your soul that you are blessed in Christ. The second thing I want you to do is I want you to think about establishing practices of giving and receiving blessing. Giving and receiving blessing. Fathers, bless your children with your words of affirmation. Let them know you see them. Let them know you care about them. Let them know you're proud of them. Speak encouragement into their lives. Mothers, do the same for your children. Husbands, do it for your wives. Wives, do it for your husbands. Bosses, do it for your employees. Disperse blessing. Do it for your family in the faith. You know what I think is a tragedy? I think this is a tragedy, and this is not self-protection. It's just fact. People in ministry here, for every, for every one encouragement, get nine criticisms. And I think that's most of our experience. I don't know anyone in this community or in my life who would say, I'm over-encouraged. <laughs> Most of us are feeling defeated, stepped on, kicked around, beat up by life. And your words have the power to bless, to, to be a 
effectual in lifting someone up and turning their gaze toward the Lord and taking hope in life. Give blessing and receive blessing. Don't all shucks it. Don't do the false humility thing. Oh, it was nothing. When deep down you, you feel good about what you did. Receive the blessing. Thank you. Thanks for noticing. I really appreciate the encouragement. It means a lot to me. This, this community could be all the more beautified if we took it seriously to give and receive blessing through our words, through our, our practices, through, our, through our, our life together. To be a place where God's blessing is just pew, 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 pew. You're going to get hit with it. You're going to get caught up into it. God has blessed us in Christ. Let us live out of that blessing and let us extend that blessing to the world. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.